just going to read something that I was, I was reading yesterday on the airplane out here, and then uh, I'll pray for us and we'll, we'll dive in. I was reading a book. This section was on marriage, and uh, this author says this, a beautiful marriage is not dramatic. I, well, press on here. It is hard to depict in novel and song because the acts that define it are so small, constant, and particular. Marriage is knowing that she likes to get to the airport early. Marriage is taking the time to make the bed, even though you know that if you didn't do it, she probably would. At the grand level, marriage means offering love and respect and safety. But day to day, there are never-ending small gestures of tact and consideration. In which you show you understand her moods, you cherish his presence, this person is at the center of your worlds. At the end of the day, there's the brutal grinding effort of surrendering the ego to the altar of marriage, giving up part of yourself the desires you have for the larger union. Marriage is the ups and downs. There are private jokes, retelling the stories about the sacred places where love was born, hearing his familiar anecdotes at dinner parties, and inevitably endless planning. The passage of Corinthians that everybody reads at weddings really does define marital love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Father, as we begin this time for this session, I pray that you would be honored in how we think through these matters and apply them to our married lives. We want to embody that love. We want to be selfless and servants toward our spouse. We want to be able to be patient and kind, caring for their needs, considering their own interests above our own. And Lord, that is completely contrary to our flesh, completely contrary to the ways of the world. So in this countercultural word that you're saying to us, we pray your help in these matters. And now, Lord, as we think on marriage as partnership, I pray we would recognize the good of what it means to be partnered in marriage and what you're calling us to specifically. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Partnership and marriage. So marriage is often thought of by those younger as romance. And of course, there's romantic elements there. And, and it may sound way less glamorous, but we want to say that marriage is a covenant partnership. Yes, there's romantic elements that we see, of course, but again, covenant partnership as the Bible describes marriage, really does get at the heart of what it in fact is. So, so imagine for a moment, just, just bear with the analogy, imagine for a moment that your, your marriage is like a dance. Now, I, I, I was in a church contest growing up that like, dancing was not allowed. I'm not a frequent or a good dancer at all, but bear with me. So uh, you have two people, and there are certain movements that are required to make the dance a success. The partners need to work together, and when they do, there's genuine beauty 
to their movements. But if they decide to do their own thing, it's going to look weird and ugly. So we're called to work together, to, to dance, if you will, in marriage, to embrace what we're called to in partnership together. And, and partnerships can be thwarted by all kinds of things, stymied by all manner of things in our life. So we want to think through, okay, how do we, like, what kind of partnerships in marriage are there, and how do we do those things well, and how do we go from merely making our marriages transactional to being actually covenantal? And when I say transactional, what I mean is there can come points in marriage where really what you are looking at is essentially like a business partnership. Hey, you do this, and I'll do this, and you take care of these things. Is that taken care of? What are the details? Let's plan this out. Let's do that. And that's the extent of your marriage. We want to not settle for transactional marriage. We want to delve into the depths of covenantal marriage. So the main idea for this talk is this. God has formed husbands and wives to be partners in the Christian life. Again, God has formed husbands and wives to be partners in the Christian life. I just said to the guys last hour, I'll say it again now, if marriage is a temporary reality pointing to the permanent reality of the Christ church relationship, I think it is, Matthew 22, Ephesians 5 speak to this, then the point of your marriage, the, the ultimacy of your marriage is to work and to serve and to love in such a way that the worship of God, of your spouse, is enhanced. You relate to your spouse so their worship of God is enhanced. That's what you're doing in the marriage relationship, enjoying God together as the apex of all things. So we're partners in this. It was true from the beginning, Genesis 2, with Adam and Eve put in the garden and saying, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should call woman. She was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was true then. It's true today for us as God's people. So some key points on partnership, but I want to start with, I think, one very important statement that I hit on last night but want to review again. So here's my first point that I want, to, I want to raise. Your spouse is not the enemy. I want to just take a moment to say a little more about this. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him Firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, let me just say this. I know there are extreme situations. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to realities in marriage that can go very, very, very badly. I know there are, there are scenarios that are bad. I understand that. What I'm speaking of here are the typical everyday sort of conflicts that can arise between a husband and a wife. And it's, it's, a, it's a war of attrition where over time you feel like these everyday conflicts again and again and again, you begin to believe the lie that is, man, you're the opposition. You're the competition. 
You're the enemy. I want to just say from these verses in 1 Peter 5, that's not the case. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. When confederized, it's easy to see that person, the spouse, as the enemy who's coming against you. But I want you to think again, to think through some of last night, those, those laws of communication and how when wrongs are done, how will we follow Christ in seeking and granting forgiveness? We forgive as God in Christ forgave us. And oh my, you're going to have to forgive one another in marriage. Yes? Yes. If you're in your first year of marriage, it's like, that's just so good. It's wonderful. I love it. It's going to come. So, um, and you, you already know. You already know, right? So, man, we, we, Rachel and I have forgiven each other of, of various kinds of wounds that we've given to one another in life and have had to walk through that, and that's part of the deal. And have to remind ourselves, man, like, we're, we're on Team Kimball, <laughs> and so let's, let's pursue this. Right now. The devil is the enemy. Satan seeks to steal and to kill and destroy. John 10.10. 10. He wants to steal from you, kill, and destroy your marriage. Make no mistake, when you woke up this morning, your enemy has one objective for your marriage, to separate it. That's his objective. That's his goal. That's his aim in your marriage. He is on the hunt. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour. Man, my, my, my kids uh, love uh, nature documentaries. Love these things. And they, they rented one a while back called The Hunt. And it's all about predators. So they had in there polar bears, lions, cheetahs, orcas. Rachel's favorite. No, she's not a fan. Um, so, so just all these predators and watching how they hunt prey. And it's intense as a documentary, actually. And I watch that and say, man, this is like the Christian life. There's always someone seeking to hunt us down, steal, kill, destroy. We woke up this morning in a war zone. This is not peacetime, friends. That's called the new creation. So, that text says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Watch! Right? Like last month, I'm saying, man, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening. And my wife reminds me, hey, we're going next month to do a marriage conference. You think that's not opposed? You're here this weekend. If there was opposition to you being here this weekend, you think that's coincidental? Be watchful these things. Satan is the enemy. So recognize in this covenant partnership, we, we do battle together, not against one another, but against the enemy. That's a key thing to keep in mind. So let's move forward here in, in partnership. So first off, this first uh, partnership level here, partners in intimacy. Partners in intimacy. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 to 5. Again, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5 says this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan, there is again, Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
So let's state the obvious in that set of verses there. Married couples should be regularly enjoying sexual intimacy. That's the idea from this text we see there. And man, Rachel and I do a lot of uh, premarital counseling at Cedarville. We have a, a program called Fit to be Tied, and it's our premarital counseling deal. In fact, Josh and Ariana had a chance to do that with them even uh, not too long ago. And I say something to couples that always just baffles them, just baffles them. I will tell them, um, look, before you're married, Satan wants to tempt you to sexual sin with one another, right? To so go too far in that way before you are married. And once you're married, Satan would love to separate that marital intimacy so you have none. And those young couples always believe the first half of that. <laughs> They're always like, bro, yes. <laughs> we understand. Pray for us, right? We get that. They never, every time I say the full thing, they're like, you're telling me like 10 years from now, I might be tempted to not want to have sexual intimacy with my, my husband or my wife? Yes, I'm saying to you. And they're like, that does not compute. <laughs> it does, and then they're like, I don't understand how that could possibly ever be the case. So you may know this, understand this, recognize this. And just see that Satan loves to tempt us in a variety of ways, in both of those ways. He would love to, as married couples, separate us, to have us neglect sexual intimacy, and to give us uh, sinful replacements, lust and pornography, adultery, just sheer neglect and no intimacy there whatsoever with our spouse. He would love to get us in that direction to pursue those kinds of things. I want to tell you, there's a partnership here we need to recognize in intimacy. It's real, it's serious, it's true. Uh, I think of uh, on a church level, this is years ago now, but at a different church, different location that I, I live now, there was a couple, um, three kids, four kids, I can't recall off the top of my head, but this husband uh, was being profoundly tempted to leave his wife and I think three boys uh, for a woman that he worked with. And he was, he was sorely tempted to do this. And we caught wind of this at our church. We were in a small group together, community group. And uh, one Sunday evening, we had an intervention. No joke. We said, ladies, head on upstairs. The guys are staying downstairs. And this guy was there and there's probably half a dozen of us there. And for a while, I don't know how long, a while, uh, we exhorted this brother, you cannot do this. Think this through. If you do this, think about the consequences. What are you called to as a Christian man? You cannot go against your covenant vows. On and on and on it goes. And so we, we exhorted him for a while and said, you can't go this direction. You need to stay faithful to your wife and pursue the marital covenant God's given to you. We were intense we were loving, but we were trying to say, brother, this is really, really serious. And, and praise God, they are together today. They are uh, in good relationships as far as we know. But that night, if that hadn't happened in community, I don't know what would have happened. And just saying there, 
Like we need to, again, just look out for one another and care for and love one another well because we all should be in marriages that at this level are pursuing intimacy with our spouse and loving them well in this way. It's a good gift from God. We don't want to deprive one another. We want to serve one another well and know how can I love my spouse best in that way. That's a good and important set of conversations to have. Secondly, we're partners in friendship. So intimacy, yes. How about friendship? Man, early on in marriage, there were times when Rachel would say to me, um, I might get perhaps annoyed by something in, in life, in our, our marriage, who knows. And she would say sometimes, like, I know that you love me, but do you like me in this moment? What's she asking? She's asking about our, our friendship as a husband and wife. Like, are we okay at that level? Here's a verse, Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, that can speak to any number of friendships that you have, and I have. But shouldn't that speak to our marriages at some level? That my, my wife loves me at all times, and she's, she's there in times of adversity and vice versa. Life is going to be amazing, incredible, joy-filled, awesome at times. Man, we, we walked yesterday, took a loop around a park nearby our hotel, found an empty bench, and stared at mountains for like 20 minutes. I loved, I'm like, this is so good. We're, again, Ohio. Anyway, um, <laughs> just saying, I'm soaking it in, people. So, and it was beautiful and good weather and incredible and just a fun time. And there's times where life is devastating, just devastating, hard. And a true friend loves all those times. They're there for moments of adversity. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, again, can be applied to marriage, I think. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Again, I know various relationships can be applied there, but certainly, of course, as well, in terms of marriage in those ways. So, I mean, you probably have some close friends in your life that know the details of your life. I, I have some friends back home, they know the details of my life. They, they know me well. Um, though I don't see him very often, I love and thank God for Will Galkin and uh, appreciate him as a friend. We became, I, I say, fast friends. We met and just really clicked and every time I see him, it's just good. We go deep quick and I love that. It's wonderful, it's good. But man, I just wanna tell you, the friendship I have with my wife is irreplaceable. There's just a, a depth there that can't really be replaced. There's no friendship like you have with your spouse. Again, we, we don't, and, and I'm with them there, honey. You're 21. I just love being with her. I, I enjoy, I like her, right? And I, I enjoy time with her. We laugh together. Sometimes our kids are like, why are you guys laughing at that? We're like, because it's funny. Leave me alone, right? We're going to laugh. Sometimes we, we cry together over certain things that have happened. Um, oh man, not to go into detail, but I, I pastored in Akron again for, for a time years ago now and uh, experienced there just a deep, deep betrayal. Just heart-wrenching, hard. Hard even talk to this day, and it was years ago. And uh, I came home 
after this betrayal was enacted. And uh, I told Rachel what transpired, and we just cried. We just shed tears, because there's like nothing else to do <laughs> in that moment. And uh, we've gone from like awesome, laughter, joy, great experiences, down to here's adversity, and we're gonna walk through this together. This is what friends do. This is what friends do. I've watched, man, my parents, oh my goodness. So 14 years ago, Rach, or 15 years ago is now? 14 years ago, my dad got a bout of what was called Guillain-Barre syndrome. That's how it's pronounced. I didn't know what it was until he got it. But he went from like being a normal, functioning, very healthy, very active human being to within a week uh, not being able to move any part of his body besides his eyes and being on a feeding tube and respirator. Five months. Five months in neuro ICU. And every single day, just seeing my mom going there, being with him like all day back to the hotel, going back all day. And he can't do anything. He can't communicate, like nothing. And I, we'd go at times to visit and be with them. And I was like, this is astounding. Astounding to watch them do what they did. And then he, he rehabbed. Biggest cheerleader for him, my mom. Right, just loving him, encouraging him, all these things. And they, my dad's disabled to this day. He's a lot better. He survived, praise God. And uh, a lot of hard things. And mom's just there. And they laugh like crazy. They have hard days as well. Good times, adversity. Friends are there for those things. And let's just say, it could be easy to take friends for granted. Especially the friend that is our spouse. So we need to be, be careful to not take them for granted. So work to carve out time for one another. Communicate. Be there for each other, stick with one another in the good, the bad, the ugly, enjoy time together, laugh, cry, care for one of those friends, love at all times, be there for adversity, have good quality time with your spouse, but can I just say, quality time emerges from quantity time. You got to get margin, friends. You know, you know what word I hate anymore and I say it myself still, I, I'm, I'm growing I, my intensity of hatred is growing of the word busy. I, I, I say it like, oh, I'm busy. I, oh, I hate that word. I hate it. I hate it in me. Because what that means is I'm, do, I'm doing like good stuff. Yes, it's great. But like, man, where is there margin to date my wife? Where is there margin to care for my son in that particular way? To get my daughter and deal with that particular issue? To be able to get with friends and, and deal with that? To just have margin to breathe and to say, God, you are and I worship you. So I'm going to fight against busyness. I'm making war. I'm busy, believe me, like I am, but like I'm making warriors. I have to say, I don't want to have no margin. I want to have margin to love. I want to love. Ugh, anyway, <laughs> different topic. Okay, so intimacy, friendship. Next one, partners in family life. Partners in family life. So tomorrow you're going to hear, I have Colossians 3. I'll just read this really quick. Colossians 3.18, wives. Submit to your own husbands as is fitting the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Again, not, not a parenting conference, a marriage conference, but, but I, I do want to say a few words here in parent, uh, partisan family life. This does mean, we'll say tomorrow from Ephesians 5, 
headship, submission, what does all that mean? We'll discuss more then. But I do want to just say in terms of family life, and we're all in various places here. We're all in, in different places, but just saying to one another, headship, submission, we're partners in family life. If there are kids in our home, the idea of calling them to obedience, calling them to honor as well. We want our, our kids, our, our teenagers, I've got a 16 and a 14-year-old at home that I love. Man, I'm just telling you, and I'm being zero sarcasm, I love my teenagers. They're awesome. I, so many parents, I say, they're like, how old are your kids? I'm like, 16 and 14. They're like, oh, you're in that phase. I'm like, yeah, I'm in that phase, and I love it. It's awesome. Now, they're, they're teenagers. But uh, with that aside to say we have challenges, I, I love having good, long conversations and talking through things together. They make fun of me. It's great. And it's, it's awesome. Like, you guys are witty and hilarious. Anyway, um, so we want, to have, we want kids, teens, show respect, be obedient. We want to pray for our kids together as married couples. Here's one in family life. When we wrong one of our kids, or maybe like you wrong your spouse, and you want to seek their forgiveness, can I encourage you, seek at least a good amount of times, Seek your spouse's forgiveness in front of your kids. Model to them what it means to repent. You get to be lead repenters in your home. And sometimes your kids will wrong, no doubt. At times you will wrong them and you want to pursue them and say, hey, I want to just say I'm sorry. That was not right of me. I want to, I want to seek your forgiveness. I, I hope, I really, I really hope, I hope that I'm modeling that to my family. I have plenty of opportunity to do so. <laughs> Maybe you do too. Uh, encourage them toward godliness. Commend what's there to be commended. So often we can focus on the critical things in our kids or our spouse. Commend what you see. Where are there traces of grace? And say, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'll just say, God's at work in you in that way. And I see that. I notice that. See your spouse. See your kids. I, I was helping coach soccer. No, I was head coach that year. Uh, my son's team a few years ago, my good friend Kevin Jones and his wife Damika, who's just a gift. I love Damika. She's incredible. And uh, all the time I'd hear her on the sidelines. She would say the same line over and over. When a, a player gave extra effort, even like in innocuous ways, not only like it's like scoring a goal, but just extra effort going, she would say over and over, I see you. <laughs> just like that. I see you. Right? And what she's saying, say, I see your effort. I see what you're doing. I take notice of it, and I want to say, that's fantastic. That's my translation, <laughs> right? And, and to say to your, your spouse, your kids, I see you. I see what God's up to you in your life, and that's a beautiful thing. That can be a challenge sometimes. We just want to criticize. We want to encourage you toward commendation. Guide in the ways of the Lord through times in the Bible, times in prayer, Deal with hard issues. Have, I don't call them these, but like have family meetings. Just sit and have these. We don't, all right, Kimball family, I don't do that. But just say, hey, can we at dinner just talk through this real quick? And we, we do talk through a lot of things. We try to, I'm not, just, I'm not trying to say you must do this, but we do most days, not, not today obviously, most days though, breakfast together and dinner together. Not every day, but a lot of days as family. 
And I'm just finding that yields those moments of conversations where sometimes I'm kind of like, well, that was just goofy the entire time. Have a good day, guys. And that's cool. Other times saying, though, that yields opportunities to have some good questions, conversations there. Finding those times is needful. Discipline, being consistent, that's a big thing as well. We, it says here, to, to dads, don't provoke your kids, which means to frustrate or irritate them for no good reason. We don't want to do that. I, I do that. In my house, I, I don't, I'm not a yeller uh, with my, my family, but I, I can like uh, ascribe to death by lecturing. I'm a lecturer, I'm a teacher, that's what I do. But anyway, um, so I can at times, I, I can see my son, after a while of me saying something, starts just like wilting. And I'm like, okay, I'm done, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Right, going too long. But um, don't provoke them to anger. Don't irritate them. For no, hey, can I just say on this, sometimes we have expectations of our kids that are godly in nature. Sometimes we have expectations of our kids that are just about you or me. It's about your ego. It's about your reputation. Can we, can we just agree for just a moment here, just to settle on this one? Sometimes, like, you just want your kid to do well in sports so you look good. Sometimes you want that kid to have, like, that epic, awesome 4.3 GPA to say, like, yeah, because I'm, I'm awesome. Bumper sticker. Can I just tell you? Those are two pathways to seriously provoke your kids to wrath and anger. To do that in a way that says, it's about me and, and you do this for like my reputation and for my gain and social status with the dads and the bleachers or with like the moms that discuss like school stuff can be really deadly to your family. Just something to consider and keep in mind. So we partner in family life. We're, we're a joint force. None of that, like, ask mom. She says, no, well, I'm going to come to ask dad. Because my first question is, like, did you ask mom already? Yeah, what'd she say? Because uh, they know. And mom's like, no. I'm like, no. And on, on, on occasion, it's like, I wonder why she said no about that. I'll talk to her and we'll, we'll discuss things. Most times, though, we're, we, are, we are lockstep. We know each other really well. And it's kind of like, yeah, what she said. Yeah, what he said. Done. Simple. <laughs> they know. So just partner in that way. Love well in that way. Don't. Don't try to be divided in those ways. Pursue unity. If there's something there you say, we're not unified on this, then talk about it. Get a date. Talk about it. Think through it. Say, well, why are we approaching that in this way and not this way? And, and come to a consensus on that. One of partners in family life. And then one other. Uh, partners in ministry. Partners in ministry. So thinking through intimacy, friendship, family life. And then one other is partnering in, in ministry. So Romans 12, verse 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. All those verses are just aimed at, hey, minister in the church in these kinds of ways. So I'm just saying to you and to me in this room now, minister to others with your spouse in those ways. Like, do it together. 
as a team. Uh, love others with affection. Show honor. Uh, be zealous to serve the Lord. Rejoice. Be patient. Pray. Give. Bless. Show hospitality. Like, do it with your spouse. Partner in ministry. I, man, it was a fun time when I was a, a student pastor many years ago. Um, first went out of college and had no kids at that point in time. Rachel and I did like all the ministry stuff together. It was, it was fantastic, right? So just doing like a lot of things together. Thinking, like we'd go to like football games together. We'd go to plays together. We'd minister in counseling together. We'd do events together. All this stuff. And it was a blast. We had a ton of fun doing that. Still do to this day. And, and probably, I would guess, in this church, outside this church, you have ways you're ministering to people. It could be like, you know, I'm doing kids ministry and, and they're doing like community group stuff or, or I'm doing student ministry and they're doing some worship stuff, which is fine. I would just say, if at all possible, find some ways to minister together. Find some ways you can minister as a couple together to those who are around you. That could be with kids, students, adults, Hospitality, my wife loves to host, loves to host. So we have people over a decent amount. We, I try to host all of my classes I teach at Cedarville. I bring all of them over for dinner during the semester. We, we, I've always done that. Uh, some nights there's like 10, some there are like 45. And we've, we've gotten down to a science. Rachel has the idea of this homemade pizza thing. Man, we've got it down to a science. So we, we know what we're doing. We got it. By five o'clock, it's on. We're serving pizza. And uh, so there it is. But we, we enjoy that. We talk to students there. And honestly, it's a little bit draining for me, quite honestly, to host and have these conversations, do all this, you know, three or four or five weeks in a row. But it's good. It's really good. And we have a lot of fun doing that. Mission trips. Man, Rachel and I last year led a trip here last March. I, I loved it. It was so fun. Seeing her and her strengths, doing what she does, I'm doing what I'm doing, we're doing it together. And I just, I love it. Because people in a classroom back at where I live, Cedarville, see me, like, oh man, you do this. I'm like, look, I got a wife at home, and without her, man, oh man. Like, ministry is just so strengthened in doing this together. I'm trying to convey that to these students. They come here, like, oh, I see that. You are pretty delinquent. Yes. <laughs> worship, greeting. I get greeted at church every week by couples at various times. I'm like, man, these guys just love each other. It's cool to see. Small group, whatever. So just ways you can minister together uh, and enjoy those things. So, so think about it. You may already be doing that, which is great. Maybe you're saying, man, I minister here and you minister there. Are there any kinds of ways we could combine forces and, uh, and do that well? And some couples in the room you already do that and you know, like, no, there's beauty and there's joy in that and could convey to others, like, here's how it's looked and how it's went and it's really good and fun. So um, there's some, some levels of partnership. So just to remind, God has formed husbands and wives to be partners in the Christian life. The enemy is the enemy, not your spouse. He's the enemy. So we're partners in intimacy, in friendship, in family life and in ministry. And more, but there's a few we can go on to. So let me just say this again to us here to think through this. Maybe in our marriages, as we come into a space like this and hear various things said to us from God's word and, and hear ideas brought up, 
maybe we recognize, you know what, there are, are areas of our marriage that have become status quo. We're just sort of like in autopilot and haven't thought about or talked about those things for a long, long time. And maybe it'd be good to just take some time to think through in terms of levels of intimacy, how are we doing? Friendship, like am I, am I pursuing you? Do, do I know and understand you and, and wanna serve you specifically based on those things? How can I pray for you? Asking those questions, right? Be, like, what are you reading the Bible right now? And just, just learning from them as well, not being threatened by that. Uh, I had a friend a long time ago say, there's a, there's a verse in Romans 12 that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And my friend said, this is such a sad commentary. He said, I think it's way easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because grieving with somebody is like, well, I can, I can enter into that. Rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing usually means they've gotten something I haven't. Right? Promotion, job, kid did an accomplishment of some kind, you know, monetary supply of some kind, that college friend I had back in the day being like, hey, just got an envelope, it was anonymous, but here's $1,000 for college tuition, I'm like, good for you. <laughs> and there's a temptation to be angry with those who rejoice. Can I just say with our spouse, man, be your spouse's biggest champion. And I have not always done well with this. I am, I'm seeking to grow in this. I genuinely wanted to know how last hour went. I genuinely wanted to know that because I'm like, I, I want, I know it did. When Krista says, she did great, I'm like, tell her. Because I think Rachel's awesome in this way. I haven't always been that way. I've been jealous, I've been envious, I've been covetous. Not rejoicing with the triumphs of my spouse. Competing. Friends, we're partners. Their win is your win. So embrace that and see that and recognize those things. Don't, don't treat one another transactionally. If that's there, you gotta step back, look at your marriage and say, okay, if we're just in that mode, how can we step more deeply into intimacy, friendship, ministry, family life, and all these things? Ask some questions. Some of these things, friends, are not gonna be easy. It could be painful. Because you realize, like, in saying, if, if there's change needed, it means, okay, I've dropped the ball somewhere. That requires humility. Let's be humble. You know why? You do know why. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We want grace, and God grants grace. What a beautiful thing, is it not, that we are partners with this person, our spouse, to live in these ways to enhance one another's worship of the living God. Let's pray. Fathers, we think in those things, we're just grateful. Lord, we're grateful for the ways that you have worked in us and are working in us. And sometimes it's hard to admit where we've fallen short, but as we do, we see the way that you continue to provide growth and beauty. And Lord, I just pray that as this church is ministered to week to week to week through rhythms of scripture and prayer and the gospel. And as beauty is enhanced through those means, God, that, that would come 
into our marriages in profound and specific ways. We're so grateful for the way you've grown us in our marriages. And God, we, we anticipate and desire that you would do still more for our own marriage's sake and for the sake of those who come behind us that we might minister to those who are younger well. Haven't said it much, but I, just, I pray for older couples in this room that they would recognize their role to build into younger marriages. God, there's such a need of that, such a need to help them see and be taught and, and see a model of what godly marriage is. So grant that initiative and that desire here in this place and continue to help us to grow and to love as we have been loved. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.